Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. You're New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got another good show for you this week. It's a triple header this week. We're going to start off today with a World Series preview. We have the matchup set. Houston Astros taking on the Atlanta Braves. If you're joined by Anthony Sorbellini from the Baseball Beat, we're going to break down the series. Talk about the Yankees-Mets as well. The Yankees bring out and boom back. Mets still looking for a front office. We'll talk about that in just a bit. We're also going to head into the legal corner this week and be joined by our legal correspondent, Phil Freya. Talk about the latest twist in the Washington football team email scandal from the NFL. Now, Congress wants to get involved. What does that mean? We'll break it all down with Phil at the end of the show. But we'll get all started with this week's opening tip. With my thoughts on this World Series matchup between the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. Talking the World Series. Matchup set, Atlanta Braves, Houston Astros. And if you predicted this at the start of the playoffs... I hope you bet on it because very few people would have gotten this. You would have had a huge payout in Vegas if you made this bet. Houston right now, they get through the Boston Red Sox in six games in the ALCS. I call this the last stand for the Astros because Carlos Correa is a free agent after this year. A lot of the pitchers will be free agents. The offense has been legit. The Red Sox series, the ALCS, it looked like for a while Boston was going to pull this off. They were up 2-1 at Fenway Park, 2-2 in the ninth inning of game four. Turning point of the series, Laz Diaz misses that strike call from Nate Evaldi with two outs. It would have ended the inning. Houston explodes, puts on a ton of runs, run away at the inning, win that game, never look back, win the next two, they are on to the World Series. NL side, you have the Braves. They took advantage of a banged-up Dodgers team to advance to the World Series the first time since 1999. And that is a good accomplishment because, remember, this team, Ross Ronald Acuna, early in the season, their best player. They've been without their best pitcher, Mike Soroka, all year. He's never recovered from the Achilles tendon. They did a good job here. The Dodgers were very banged up. Losing Max Muncy was a much bigger deal than we thought it was going to be because Max Muncy is the heart of that Dodgers team. You know, you have stars like Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Trey Turner. Hey, Max Muncy is the glue. Without him, that lineup is not the same. And we learned that this series. Max Scherzer also dealing with that dead arm. In fact, he couldn't pitch game six. He had nothing to get to in game two. That made a big deal. The Braves take credit for taking advantage of this. As a Mets fan, I am very salty about this. Because this could have been the Mets here in this spot. Remember, this was a team that was up in the division for 90 straight days in first place. The Braves were floundering around for most of the year. The Mets had their chances to bury this team. They did not. They gained enough vulnerability that Atlanta said, despite losing a Cunha, despite losing a Soroka, you know what? We're going to go and upgrade. We're going to go chase the Mets. And they bring in 
Eddie Rosario. They bring in Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, all these big-time players. And you know what? It worked. They went for it. They passed the Mets. They beat the Brewers in the first round of the playoffs because the Brewers forgot how to hit. They beat a banged-up Dodger team. Now they're in the World Series with a shot to win their first title since 1995. And it's a frustrating feeling because, again, this is a path the Mets could have had. They could have had Milwaukee round one. And, again, even if Jacob DeGrom is not there, at that point you still have a lot of good pitching on that staff. If this team takes care of business, they could have done the job and gotten to the World Series. Obviously, a lot went wrong. That is for a future discussion about the Mets and where they're going here. But we're going to talk more about the World Series matchup here with Anthony Zarbellini right after this. This ball is crushed. It's time for the baseball beat. With Willow Schneider and Anthony Play ball. All right, baseball beat time. The World Series is finally here. Unfortunately, Wilson Schneider cannot join us today, but Anthony Sorbellini is here anyway. Help fill out the baseball beat. Anthony, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, though, not super <laughs> pumped about this World Series. It's not ideal. No, it's funny because uh, before we hopped on the, uh, up on this show today, I was thinking, I was like, man, our picks were way off. Yeah. I mean, it was really bad. I just want to say this, the – this probably, I think, for New York fans, is probably the worst case scenario because we, the Mets fans hate the Braves, Yankee fans hate the Astros. Somebody's gonna be pissed off at the end of this World Series. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will say, as a Yankee fan, I'm, even though I hate the Astros, cheating scandal and everything, but I cannot deal with the Red Sox in the World Series yeah. with that with that uh, perspective of possibly winning. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the Astros here. I mean, I've said throughout the postseason that it's sort of like the last stand for the Astros because Correa is a free agent after this year. There are a couple of the big free agents here. They have a wild ride for the postseason where they take care of business against the White Sox pretty easily, but Boston, they're down 2-1 the series, and they have the pitch to change everything because Laz Diaz can't call a curveball a strike, and then they run away and never gain momentum back. So what do you think no. about what the Astros have done so far? No, not, not Laz Diaz being a being a questionable call, right? Not at all. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, like, like you, you definitely said, and I know you touched on it in our, uh, in our, in our preseason show and spring training show and everything like that. But like, this is kind of that last hoorah for this Astros core, you know, but I know we also definitely echoed and spoke upon that. We didn't think, you know, they could be world series contenders, let alone, you know, real possibility to most likely win it this year. You know, you kind of figure they're going to be, you know, one of the top two, top three-ish teams along with, like, the Rays and the White Sox. But for what they did with the White Sox, it was kind of crazy. I, I believe – can't remember if I picked the White Sox to win the World Series this year, or I know I definitely picked them to go. Yeah, you, I think you picked them going against the Dodgers and losing. Yeah, okay. But, I mean, either way, the, the way they just dismantled the White Sox and then – in a sense, too, did the Red Sox. The Red Sox were just a scrappy team. It's the way they've been all year. I think they – they. I'm, I'm pretty sure they led the majors in comeback wins all season. 
So that's kind of like been their MO the entire season. Like, like they're not going to just, just, just crawl around and just give up. Essentially, they're always going to be there. But also the Astros are, aren't strangers to this, you know, given, you know, essentially a new manager. This is what Dusty Baker's second year, correct? Yeah. Second yes. year with them. And then and this he- is the second year with them, but uh, you know, and the cheating scandals, obviously, you know, they've still got fans, you know, signs, you know, things like that. And, and every, and everything along those lines, but for them to, you know, just go out and just continue to just play and just, especially with missing a key guy like George Springer and losing him, it, it's kind of crazy. It just speaks to, you know, those guys just coming up key and everything. Yeah. They definitely had a very interesting run. Also the team in the moment right now is the Braves. Obviously they, Getting into the postseason, the least wins in the playoffs. The NLE suck. They managed to sneak in there. Brewers can't hit. They win that round. Then they t- jump out in the Dodgers 3 nothing. manage to avoid the choke, and then win the series in six in Atlanta. So I think, obviously, for me, I'm not happy about it, but I feel like if you're a general baseball fan, this is a very fun story. Yeah, absolutely, especially because, you know, they've had that choking experience in the past. It's good to see them get over the hump and – you know, this is their first time making a World Series appearance since the 90s when they had essentially a dynasty. You know, for the most part, it was, you know, the Braves and the Yankees going at it back and forth for quite a number of years back in the in the 90s. So to see, you know, a sort of small market team, but at the end of the day, you know, they're a young team. You know, they're not, you're not unfortunately uh, Acuna Jr. is out for the year, so you're not going to see him in there, but being able to see what they're still doing and coming into the playoffs and into the world series as the hottest team in baseball. That's the momentum you want. Yeah, absolutely. I think those two games are a great story. I think the story of the postseason, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree with me on this, the lack of starting pitching that these teams have, I think it's just such a problem for the sport as a whole, because these games are momentum killers. I don't want to be seeing bullpen games in game four of the NLCS. Cause you don't have enough starting pitching and, we're stretching Matt Scherzer. We're making him pitch on two days rest out of the bullpen and stuff like that. And then he can't go in game six. Like this to me is exactly what's wrong with this sport and what's like driving it down the rabbit hole where all these games are four hours because nobody can get it out. And we're working the bass to death. The lack of pitching is driving insane. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And it's kind of funny because that's kind of been the opposite with the postseason. It was always when you're going to see, you know, you know, you always think of uh, Madison Bumgarner a couple of years ago when he was yeah. out there, just literally inhuman, you know, going out there on, what was it, two days rest, yeah. things like that, and coming back the next night after making a start to make a save. It's it's unheard of. But I, I, I'm curious to see if the, the starting pitching woes are, or the pitching woes in general, I should just say, is if there's any correlation between, you know, the umpires cracking down on on foreign substances, you know, it's just something to explore, you know, think of it like this, you know, it's it's October, it's late September, cold weather, everything, you know, you're not having whatever you're used to having on wherever give you that extra grip. There's a possibility of things to explore, but you also never know. It's a long season, so, I mean, Scherzer was expressing that he essentially had a dead arm. So, but I mean, that's unfortunately the nature of the sport. Like it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's you just have to get into the playoffs. And as we see with the Braves, anything can happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think my problem is that I think these teams are undervaluing starting pitching too much. I think that's the issue I'm having is that like they're basically saying, oh, go throw as hard as you can for as short as you can. And we'll just run a parade relievers in here. And like we don't need a starter for every game. We'll just run all the relievers out for one day because we can. And I think that's just sort of driving this thing to drink. And we're looking at this last thing in the podcast. Like I feel like every postseason game is at least three and a half hours, if not four. And that's not the way you want this thing to be going here. No, especially when they're trying to implement things to make the game shorter, right? Yeah. But, you know, just to echo your point where they're your point to where, you know, they're devaluing starting pitching. We've seen this trend for years, yeah. right? You know, it, it started when the um in 2014, I believe it was, right? 2014 when the Royals lost in the World Series, you yeah. know, they had that power bullpen. And it was like Oh, you know, if I can get a if I get a solid five, maybe six innings out of out of my starter, give it to the bullpen and you're you're good. Yeah. So we we we've seen that trend, you know, grow each and every year to where the point to where it's now. It's just if a starter can give you four, you're like, sweet, I got I got I got a good bullpen. But it's even to the point now to where the bullpens aren't even producing. Yeah, I think to me, honestly, the problem, I think there's something that they do need to legislate out of the sport, whether it's by shrinking the pitching staffs down to a point where you can't just max out arms. Like, something has to be done here. Like, I think this is a big reason why that these games are dragging on as long as they are, because they're not training pitchers to actually pitch. They're just telling them just to throw as hard as they can. And that's, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, that's it's literally just, just go out there and just go get an out. Yep. But it's to the point to where these guys are out there so much that they can't. Yeah. And these whole ridiculous idea, like, oh, he started two days ago in five innings. We can use him for, out of the bullpen for two innings tonight. And then, wait, what? He can't pitch again on his regular scheduled turn? That makes no sense. I'm like, of course, it's been that way for 100 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a slippery slope that guy that, uh, you know, whether it be Manfred and the rest of the league office need to look into or if it's just something that teams are going to have to adapt to or and just, and just change because, you know, I agree with you. I know the three of us, including Will, have said like, oh, like we 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 love the sport how it is now. We don't want to see it shortened, but also four four and a half hours for every game in the postseason is a little ridiculous. It is, and I think also I'm gonna point pinpoint that night 2019 Washington World Series where they basically use three stars and two relievers to pitch every inning of every game. That's our every team's not trying to copy that. And it's not it's not gonna work. They're human beings. They can't work like that. Oh yeah, ex- exactly. You yeah. know, you throw roughly 30 games if you're a starting pitcher each season just just in the regular season and then depending on how far your team goes if you even make it to the playoffs that's postseason it's going to be what let's say if you make if your team makes it to the world series it's going to be at least a minimum of maybe four or five starts yeah right so that's an extra you know let's say these pitchers are going depending on how bad they're getting they're getting beaten let's say probably they're throwing i think it's realistic to say they're throwing a minimum of 70 to 80 pitches yep and it just adds up it absolutely does and i think let's get to the actual matchup here the astros and the Braves. and we think of the keys for the astros here in this series what do you think they have to do to win it in all honesty I, i think the astros i don't think they have to do anything special they're kind of they're under the radar in the sense that we're used to seeing this team in this position, or at least these core group of guys. But there's so much public scrutiny, of course, of everything that happened years ago when they won the World Series and everything of the cheating scandal. But they're also they're just they're just going out and they're producing, you know, 
they're not a young team. Like, I mean, they're sort of a young team, but they're not young in the sense that they don't have postseason experience. So whereas the Braves, they they most they mostly are in the sense, especially World Series experience. Yeah, I think you're right on that. They really have to continue just embracing being the villain, knowing that the majority of America is rooting against them in this series and just thrive on it like they did they've done throughout the postseason. I think if they can just accept, hey, we're the bad guys and Nobody wants us to win and just take it, us against the world mentality. I think that's really going to help bring the best out of their games. Yeah, I, I, that's that's honestly as simple as it is, and I'd be surprised if Dusty Baker's not echoing that to some degree, or if he hasn't been echoing that to you know throughout the entire season. But that's just what they have to do. They knew they were gonna they were gonna come into last season, especially, and then this season, and probably next season as well, regardless of whatever this outcome is, and probably seasons for at least five years to where they're going to have those targets on their backs. So if the, the sooner you can embrace it and just go out and just play your game, the easier it's going to be and look where they are now. So that I'm, I would imagine if I'm, you know, in that clubhouse of some sort and hearing dusty and, you know, the rest of that coaching staff preach to those guys, I wouldn't be surprised if they're echoing something like that to some degree. Yeah, I would agree with that. As far as the Braves, what do you think is the key for them? How do they win this series? The thing is for the Braves, it's the complete opposite, right? Because none of most, a large majority of this team has never been anywhere close to this. And like I said, you know, it's a bunch, it's a bunch of young guys. But I, I think the key they need to do, ride the momentum that they've had the entire postseason. Just keep, keep, don't change anything too drastically. Of course, you know, you have to adjust each game and adjust, you know, each game plan to, you know, different starting pitching. Um, different guys, everything like that, you know, completely different staff in the Astros and than what they're than what they've played so far in the postseason. You know, they just have to get, you know, continue to get those key timely hits and everything that they've been doing and enjoy the moment, but also don't get too lost in it. Don't get too starstruck like, oh, this is the World Series. Cause at the end of the day, it is still baseball. It's still the same exact game that they've been playing the entire season. Yeah, I also think for them the key is that lineup has to keep producing because they out they knock the Dodgers out, they out outslug they have to outslug that Houston lineup. That's their only shot here. I don't think they're gonna pitch enough to keep to shut Houston down. Well, I mean, what Rosario did in the yeah. NLCS is what I think the stat was he he hit five he batted five hundred. Yes, yeah. If if you can even get a fraction of that from him, like let's say if him other key guys, you know, if they can average, let's. 300 yeah you're still you're gonna be in it yeah i think they are and what's your world series prediction who who wins how many games i want to say it's a coin flip but my gut's telling me the astros i, I want to say the Astros. i'm gonna give the astros in six the braves aren't gonna go away easily but ultimately at the end of the day i'm giving it to the astros just because they've been here before yeah, I, that people th- I think people definitely don't give that much giving giving experience that much attention. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I have Astros in six as well. I think it's just you said the experience factor is going to be too much for them to overcome. Plus, important to know here, Houston has home field. That's very important. Yeah, you know, as <laughs> as Yankee fans are well to know that uh, home field advantage makes it makes quite a difference and. If you have it, and especially if you don't have it. So if something happens where it goes to game seven, you know, you want to play game seven at home. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go here, we'll take one minute, a couple minutes on the last, on this big news around the local teams right now. The Yankees, 
As much as a lot of fans don't like it, Aaron Boone is back for three more years. The solution seems to be we're going to change the coaching staff. We're going to keep the manager. Maybe we'll shake the roster up. Like, what do you think about what's going on now over there? I mean, if you're going to get rid of the entire coaching staff, why don't you just get rid of Boone, right? Yeah. I know I said from, from the get-go, ever since we started the baseball beat and everything, I've never been a fan of Boone. Yeah. Um, why keep him? I mean, what has he shown you to be like that he's worth keeping? Every year they've regressed. Yeah. It's not every year they've gotten better or, you know, worst case scenario, they stay stagnant, you know, if keep getting to the ALCS and losing at the ALCS. Yeah. I mean, that's that that's one thing. Yeah. But they're regressing each and every year, you know. Yeah. I I don't see the point in it. I I in all honesty, I would really I know it's not gonna happen. I would love to see an entire front office mix up. That's just not going to happen. You know, I think you need to get fresh faces in there. I, you know, get somebody else instead of Cashman or give him an assistant, something, just somebody new to give him a fresh perspective because what the Yankees are doing right now is they're stuck so much in the Bronx, Bronx bomber mentality that it's biting them in the butts to where, you bring in a guy like Joey Gallo, like, oh, yeah, his his OPS is over a 1,000 or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. But he still strikes out. A lot. <laughs> a, a lot. Yeah. Like, why would I want a guy who's going to strike out at least probably once a game, if not more, for him to just hit a home run once or twice a week? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Solo home runs don't win games. You have – I really want the Yankees to go back to that mentality – of the late 90s, early 2000s, where you have your guys who can get on base, your singles, your doubles, and the occasional triple, and then you have those two or three, you know, yeah, it's two power hitters that can get those guys in. That's what's going to win your ball games. You can't be relying too much on Giancarlo Sten and Aaron Judge. As much as I love Judge, he is a liability. I think also two things about this whole thing is number one, Brian Cash is a very stubborn man. He's not one admit he made a mistake on Aaron Boone, which is why Aaron Boone is still here. Because the thing I frustrated me was I, they had this whole mentality like, oh, we need a bad cop because Aaron Boone is too nice to players. Like, then why are you keeping Aaron Boone if you need a bad cop in here to do the job that Aaron Boone can't do? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. My stepdad has this whole philosophy that Aaron Boone's a yes man. So it's not even really Boone calling all the shots from the day to day, whether it be the lineup or whatever that it's actually coming from, whether it be Cashman or, you know, <laughs> house time runner, whomever it may be. But uh, yeah, it just, I, I think to your point, you know, Boone, Boone is too nice. Yeah, He's kind of got to get that extra little, He's got it. I mean, that's just who he is. It's who he's always been. You're not, he's not going to change overnight. He's not going to probably even going to change at this point, you know? Yeah. I also think the other problems here, the Yankee pro, are just too content in their process. I think some one of my friends who was on here a couple of weeks ago, we go guy, Phil Fry, which actually on this episode later, we're talking about the Washington football team email situation, but he made a point. He said that the organization right now is just very arrogant. They feel like their way is the right way. It's just a matter of, Oh, the results have not come. Our process is not flawed. And, I think I saw this when we had the press release that they put out, the brilliant one, where they said that Aaron Boone has the third highest winning percentage of his first four years as a Yankee manager compared to, I think, Joe Torre and Casey Stengel, the other two ahead of him. I'm like, sitting there, I'm like, that's such a ridiculous argument because those guys awesome. won seven World Series combined over that time span, and Aaron Boone's not even been to one. 
It's so it's <laughs> such a my counter argument was how many World Series have they won? Yeah, they've won seven. He's not even been to one. It's like they're content to just be in the mix and sell the chicken buckets and sell the and sell the sweets as opposed to like that's what it is. They're content with being mediocre. It's as long as P- as fans are in the stands. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, they care more about being good enough to get in the tournament than say, oh, it's baseball. We we can't you can't you can only get in. It's a random crapshoot once you get there, but. At the same time, like these teams are finding out ways to win the postseason. Tampa's there all the time. They go to the World Series. The Dodgers have been to the World Series like three times since 2016. Yankees haven't been there in 11 years. Something at the process is wrong. Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's not going to happen. I really wish it would happen, but they need to shake everything up. Just yeah. flip everything upside down. I think the biggest mistake that they made is getting rid of Girardi when they did. Yeah, well, they got rid of him because you wanted to get rid of Girardi. I think you should have given him at least two more years just to see because he literally took a skeleton squad to within one game of the World Series. They had not even come close. They not even reached that point since then. Not even. Like I said, ever since Boone, they've regressed every year. Yeah, I also think the other thing that's fascinating with them, you think about it, is this idea that they fired Girardi because he was too mean to Gary Sanchez. Now, Gary Sanchez has not done a damn thing since Aaron Boone was taken over. It's funny. I, I I thought Gary Sanchez, you know, there was a glimpse of him being his rookie self. But nope. Nope. No. Nope. Yeah. And I'm going to wrap up here with the Mets. The, the front office are still ongoing here. They went over three of their big candidates. I'm not worried about it right now because obviously I think the media is trying to get a big deal about, oh, they haven't gotten anybody yet. They know about it for a month. They took, they shot for the moon and the stars. They missed. That's fine. But I think if you're getting too far past World Series without having this front office in place, it's a problem because – with this rigorous work stoppage coming, and you know it's coming, because they're not going to agree with a deal for December 1st. There's going to be a lot of action happening in November here. I think you need to have people in place to start that process. I don't care about the manager. I think you need to have the front office, at least in the process of going there, have that head guy in. Yeah, you just, it's it's kind of it's like unorganized chaos, right? Yeah. You kind of, you want to kind of have some sense of organization. Yeah. Um, you just got to get a game plan. That's what you got to go into it. You know, there's, We've seen a lot of crazy stuff happening in, in off seasons. So as long as you have, you know, kind of as cliche as it is, you know, a captain at the helm, you're good to go. Someone with a solid game plan, you know, build off of that. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. you go, if you follow on social media, keep on some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos and um, kind of a bittersweet moment for me coming up on Tuesday is my final game covering Iona Athletics. As later in the week, I will be heading to Chapel Hill and later next week we'll be starting a new position as a uh, athletics photographer for UNC Tar Heels. So I'm very lo- I'm looking looking forward to that. Okay, congratulations from us and the thank listeners. You, thank thank you. you. Thank you again for all the time. I really appreciate it. And best of luck in thank North you. Carolina. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast in the legal corner today. Talking about the Washington football team email situation, the latest twist is that Congress now wants to get involved. Join me today, our legal correspondent, Phil Fry, is here. Phil, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good. And this Washington football team email situation seems to have been taking a life of its own over the last few weeks. So 
I talked a little bit about it last week, but do you want to sort of help the listeners catch up here on what's been going on with this, all these emails that the, the league has and that people want to see? Yeah, I, I I forgot about this until about a week ago or two weeks ago when it really blew up. But uh, but uh, essentially, and sorry if this is repetitive, but um, last summer came out that there was widespread or alleged, I should say, widespread sexual harassment and discrimination within the Redskin organization. Uh, the Redskins hired their own attorney to conduct an investigation, which ultimately the NFL took over. And the NFL fined the Redskins, I believe $10 million, a hefty sum of money uh, based on their findings. Dan Snyder has stepped aside. He's no longer in charge of day-to-day -day operations. Apparently there was widespread sexual harassment and other discrimination from the top down. That investigation continues today, though, and uh, more and more has come out from the email dump. So uh, I know you did the Gruden stuff already, so I won't get too much into that. But we found out, you know, John Gruden sending racist, homophobic, misogynist, every other kind of bigotry word you can think of emails to Redskin personnel. Uh, we found out that Adam Schefter is running his stories by the Redskins for their approval, but perhaps worst of all, we found out that the NFL and its attorneys kind of have a little buddy-buddy relationship with the Redskins and they're sending emails of, you know, don't worry about it. We're not going to find you too bad about that penalty. Uh, this will be no big deal, yada, yada, yada. So that, that's where we are now. And it, it looks very much like a, a good old boys club in, in within the NFL, which is frankly what a lot of people have suspected and alleged. But now there's some evidence of that, that the NFL is not really concerned with this kind of stuff. It's all looked the other way. We're all friends. We're all members of the same country club, that kind of thing. Yeah, and also to add a note here, there was never actually a written report from the investigation. The NFL did not request one. They did not make the independent investigator write one. So the only record of evidence from that investigation is those 650,000 emails the league has. And there have been multiple calls to release them. And one of them recently came from Congress. So you tell me why Congress wants these emails. Right, and and, that, and that's a good point because that, that's on the written uh, lack of a written report. That's very unusual. Every time you have one of these investigations, there's a written report. It's usually released to the press, and, and that allows uh, the Mitchell report, for example, and that allows the public to get it. So why is Congress involved? Uh, th there's, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is politics. This is a good political story to jump on uh, if you are of a certain type of political orientation. We've got a football team who was already unpopular based on its refusal to change its name for a decade or, or more. Uh, now you've got sexual harassment, you've got bigotry, misogyny, homophobia, you got all that in one. There's a political angle here and there's some people trying to score brownie points politically. That's, that's one, but two, and not to discount it at all, two is, Congress sees this as a serious issue because if the NFL can portray to the public that these sexual harassment, these racism, these discrimination issues, they don't really matter. We'll just sweep them under a rug and move on with, with our business. 
But what's to stop any company in America from, from behaving that way? Uh, whether it's a big national bank or a small mom and pop hardware store, the, the, it goes all the way down. The NFL, for better or worse, is one of, if not the most public facing companies in, in the country. And Congress sees that and, and they want to make an example that, that we're not going to allow the NFL to set an example for the country that this stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, because you mentioned NFL is a very high Q rating compared to like Home Depot or Amazon or say uh, Walmart. Like people care more about the NFL than those companies. Absolutely. Uh, if, if Walmart is, is accused of discrimination and they are every day, there's hundreds of lawsuits across the country saying my Walmart discriminated against me. Nobody cares because it's, it's not a public facing thing, brand like the NFL. This is big news. This is all over the news and Congress wants to make sure that they send a signal to everybody in America. This is unacceptable. You cannot sweep this kind of stuff under the rug. Yeah, absolutely not. And as of right now, this comes from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. It said on Thursday, last Thursday, recording on Sunday night here on October 24th, they said that they sent a letter to Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting by November 4th all documents and communication about the probe into the workplace culture of the Washington football team. This is a quote here from U.S. Representative Carolyn D. Maloney, the chairman of the chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform. said, we have serious concerns about what appears to be widespread abusive workplace conduct the WFT and about the NFL's handling of this matter. And another quote, communication between league management and WFT leadership also raised questions about the league's asserted impartiality in investigations. So basically right back to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, that, that, that's what they're concerned about. They, they, we can't have a good old boys club. And that, and that is true in any, any organization in America, right? Uh, if you have a company where, you know, the, the guy who runs HR is buddy-buddy with the guy who's, the accused harasser, you have got you've got a problem, and, and the NFL is that small example on a huge scale because that's what the at least what's been publicly reported. That's what this looks like. It looks like a buddy buddy. Don't worry about it. I got your back. It's not an impartial investigation, and Congress Congress isn't going to stand for that. No, and the NFL basically said through their spokesman Brian McCarthy said the leaks received the letter. Shares the committee's concern that all workplaces should be free from any form of harassment and discrimination. Look forward to speaking to her office soon. Nowhere in that email do they indicate, like, we're going to cooperate with Congress. It seems like they're going to just try and talk to them and try and get the, and weasel their way out of it. Probably. So uh, that, that's normally how these things go. Uh, you get the letter with the deadline. Normally the first, um, first cause of action, first thing you do is pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make that deadline. Can I get a little bit more time? Yeah, all right, we can do that. And then there'll be some negotiation where they essentially try and get Congress to let them wiggle out of it with producing nothing. Yeah, and right now, let's say the NFL goes down this path and say, no, we're not giving you the emails. Like, we don't have to do that. So, like, what could happen if the NFL decides not to comply? Well, Congress has a subpoena power and they can use it. Uh, and if, if they so choose, and if they subpoena that information and the NFL fails to provide it, there are criminal consequences that go along with that. Yeah. Like what kind of criminal consequences? Like who are we facing? That would be like league, league, league lawyers, Roger Goodell. Like what are we talking about here? Uh, all the above. Yeah. Uh, they, they could end up imprisoned, uh, fined that, that those are the kinds of things that happen when you fail to 
comply with a subpoena. Uh, it's going on right now with uh, Steve Bannon in a, another congressional investigation about the January 6th incident. Uh, he, he refused to comply. They held him in contempt and he very well may end up in prison if he doesn't turn around and comply. Yeah. So like, what do you think the end goal is here for the Congress here? Like, cause I feel like there's gotta be something bigger than getting the emails. I think they want to make an example of the NFL. I think, like I said, I think part of it's political. They're trying to score some political brownie points, but I think there's another part of it that they want to make an example of the league for the rest of America to see that this kind of stuff is not going to be tolerated. Yes. That's that's really what I think is going on. And, and if I was the NFL, what I'd be scared of is right now you've got 600 emails that are being reviewed in a confidential environment. And I understand there's been some leaks, but the keyword there is some. Who knows what these documents actually say? And if they get into the hands of Congress, there may be more leaks or, or even open to the public record to see every single email that's in that investigative file. And that, that, that'll be bad news for the league. Yeah, I, I want to say also with the league set up here, I feel like also the NFL, the one thing they do not want, and there's over 650,000 of these emails, is literally what you just said, to have them on the public record. And I know the NFL put that statement out last week to the AP where they said, oh, there's nothing else wrong with the besides the ones Gruden sent. But the fact that no one put a name on me, you feel like, yeah, there's something else there they just don't want us to know about yet. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is the biggest thing that Congress has. Congress has the power to open the NFL's emails to the public. And, and that's got to scare the crap out of the NFL. So you're, you are a lawyer. You're be clear. You know nothing about what's in the emails or what the NFL status is. If you, based on, you know, where you're revising the league right now, what would you tell them to do? Like, how would you handle this Congress congressional situation? That, that's a tough one. Uh, do it, give as little as you can really do, do, make a deal, make a deal to give up as little information as you could possibly give up. Maybe throw John Gruden under the bus some more because who cares about Gruden? He's out already anyway. Uh, but 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 that's certainly what what I think is going to be going on here. And and I think there's going to be a lot of trying to save face too uh, for for the league and for Goodell, right? Because we've already got some villains to come out of this investigation. We got Gruden, we got Snyder. Why don't we just throw more dirt on those guys? Throw them under the bus. Yeah, Bruce Allen is no longer the Washington Football Team president. Him who. Right. There you got him. That, that, that would be my, my strategy is let's throw the guys under the bus who are already been thrown under the, who have already kind of got the pine, the uh, tar and feather treatment already. So basically your goal would be negotiate with Congress to the point where a, you don't have to have as give up as little information on the emails as you possibly can and b avoid having them drag Adele to a hearing. Yeah. I don't, I don't want Adele testifying. And, and I, Adele is a, uh, polarizing figure obviously and you know the, the players it's well known they don't like him i think a lot of fans don't like him but the owners and they're the people who matter when you're talking about this kind of thing they love the guy because he makes the money so yeah they, they do not want roger goodell to get mixed up in this yeah so that's something we're going to keep an eye on going forward here like i know if you said that the original deadline here is november 4th you said this is probably going to drag out a little longer because the nfl could probably try and get more time to get their like house in order here yeah, that, that's that's uh, 
a professional courtesy is kind of the way to phrase it. Uh, that, that happens all the time. Lawyers ask, get me all this information by a date certain. And almost always you get, get an extension. All right. So keep an eye on this going forward. Phil, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Mike. Uh, this is, this is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, I, I, I think it's something big is going to happen in the next few months. Yeah, for sure. Have that you on the horn for that? I'm sure the CBA with baseball coming up next month. Negotiations. We'll definitely be in touch with you then. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of complicated issues coming up. That's going to be a long, long winter of negotiations. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm convinced. I think you agree with me. That we're heading to a lockout. Some sort. We're not going to have an extension before the December first deadline. I would put it at about 60, 40, 70, 30 lockout. Yeah. All right, Phil. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank Anthony Sarbellini for hopping on here to preview the World Series. I also thank our legal correspondent, Phil Freire. We just heard talking about the Washington football team email scandal. A lot of crazy stuff going on there. If you want to stuff like this podcast, including my look at the organizational ratings for New York teams, who's in the best spot right now to do well, check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, our favorite podcast platform. you find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well to help make the podcast even better going forward. Also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. The video versions of this chat with Anthony and Phil are up there right now. You can check those out as the podcast is out there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's our first show of the week in the books. Coming up in the second episode of the week on Wednesday night. It's going to be coming out. We're going to have week eight NFL picks. We're going to break down the premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Martino Puccio, and more. Until then, we have a better week than the Red Sox fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.